Have you ever met a famous person before? I'm not talking about attending a Beyonce concert. I mean actually meeting a famous person, shaking their hand, saying hi, maybe even speaking to them. To be honest with you, I haven't really had much of an encounter with any famous people. However, I have had two minor encounters with people who were kind of famous. First, during the 2010 Olympics, that was in Vancouver of course, I was on the sky train with a few friends and we saw a hockey player named Peter Forsberg. Now, if you know hockey, you know Peter Forsberg was a big deal. He was a great player, a superstar back then, and he played for Team Sweden during the Olympics. One of my friends recognized him and walked up to him uh, and, and asked him to sign an autograph. Forsberg didn't acknowledge him at first because he didn't want to draw attention to himself on the Skytrain, but then he discreetly grabbed the paper, signed his autograph, handed it over, and turned away. That was it. That was my first minor encounter. Don't judge my story please, okay? The second encounter was actually at the Earls on Lougheed Highway next to our Vancouver campus. Um, my wife and I, we had just grabbed lunch and we were walking to our car and I saw Squire Barnes about a hundred feet away. Now you might be thinking, who is Squire Barnes? Well, Squire Barnes is the sports guy from our local global BC news channel. And I got quite excited when I saw him because I saw him on TV and so I hollered across the parking lot to him. But when I yelled, my voice squeaked and it sounded like this, hey Squire! And I was embarrassed. I was like a little boy going through puberty that, and I waved at him and he waved back and it was awkward. And my wife still to this day makes fun of me for that infamous voice crack. Well, enough of my encounters. Today we're kicking off a brand new four week sermon series called Encountering Jesus. In this series, we're gonna learn about four different individuals who had very different encounters with Jesus. Each individual has a different background, they each have their own baggage, and they each have a very unique encounter with Jesus. We're going to do a deep dive into the lives of these individuals, and we're going to unpack their interactions with Jesus, and watch how they responded to what Jesus revealed to them. And here's a spoiler, they don't all respond the same way. Today we're going to turn to John chapter 3 to read about our first encounter. If you don't have your Bible with you, grab it right now or go online, get your Bible app, turn to John chapter 3. We're going to learn about an encounter between Jesus and a religious elite. Chapter 3 verse 1 says this, Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Now Nicodemus was a Pharisee. And he was a member of the Jewish ruling council, or the Sanhedrin as it was known as. Now this was the supreme Jewish ruling party that was made up of 70 men. Nicodemus was one of those men. Nicodemus sat at the, on the highest, most influential board in the Jewish community. Nicodemus was an influential man. He was a big deal. And as a Pharisee, he was also a Bible scholar. He would have had many of the same beliefs that Christ followers have today. He was not much different, actually, than me or you. He loved God and wanted to serve him. He believed in the Old Testament of Scripture, Genesis through Malachi. He believed in angels and demons. He believed in the coming Messiah as well. Part of the problem, however, was that the Pharisees thought that they would recognize the Messiah and that they would be the ones to announce the Messiah to Israel. 
The Pharisees believed that the Messiah came, when the Messiah came, he would exalt them as the righteous ones in Israel. But Jesus actually did the opposite. He denounced the Pharisees because of their calloused hearts. Here's where the beliefs of the Pharisees differed from you and I and our understanding of the Bible. They thought, and this is important, that obeying the law saved them. They thought that if they kept the rules or law, as it was called in the Old Testament, that God had given them, that they would be righteous in God's eyes. But they were way off in their thinking. You see, the law that God gave Israel was never meant to save anyone. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, that through the law, we become conscious of sin. The law was not meant to save the Israelites. It was meant to point them to the Savior. But the Pharisees did not see it that way. In their eyes, the better you kept the law, the holier you were. And as a result, they became hyper-legalists, which is exactly what Nicodemus would have been, to ensure that they were obeying every single rule to the T. In order to do this, they created sub-rule after sub-rule after sub-rule for each law. They created a book with all their made-up rules, and they proclaimed that this needed to be followed, and it was known as the tradition of the elders. Now, the tradition of the elders were translations of the law and expanded rules that they created in addition to the law that God had given them, and it got out of control. For example, according to the God-given law that God gave the ancient Israelites, one must have a Sabbath day, meaning that there must be one day a week of rest. That was a God-given command. Here's how it got out of control for the Pharisees. The Pharisees believed that it was all right to swallow vinegar on the Sabbath, which was their day off, but they could not gargle it because the act of gargling constituted work and you were not allowed to work on your day off. You see how sidetracked this got? One Pharisaical teaching held that it was permissible to eat an egg that had been laid on the Sabbath only if the chicken was killed on the next day for having violated the Sabbath. I mean, these rules got crazy. The Pharisees made rules upon rules upon rules in their book called The Tradition of the Elders, and Jesus denounced it. It's important to note here that the Pharisees loved God. In fact, they helped preserve scripture for years during some of the dark days of the nation of Israel. They were trying to do the right thing by creating all these rules, but somewhere along the way, they lost their focus. Somewhere along the way, they got sidetracked. And as a Pharisee, Nicodemus stressed obedience to the law in an attempt to earn righteousness. Now, let's be honest with ourselves here for a moment. You and I do this all the time. I mean, how often do you and I think to ourselves, if we read our Bible more, God will love us more? How often do you think that God will accept you if you do the right thing? Or if I give more, I will be more holy. If I memorize more scripture, I will be more righteous. If I am a good person, God will accept me. I mean, I fall into that trap all the time. If I have a bad day or a bad week, somehow I think that I'm lower on God's scale of acceptance or God's love. And that's wrong. The point is, we all fall into this temptation of earning righteousness or salvation. We can all probably relate to Nicodemus on some level. 
Nicodemus believed that salvation is earned by good works and by obeying the law. And so scripture says that he came to Jesus at night. Now at night, why at night? Well, he was most likely fearful for losing his reputation, so he wanted to keep things secretive. The Pharisees were known to throw people out of their places of worship for believing in Jesus, and so we could only assume that Nicodemus did not want to be seen as a believer in Jesus, so we approached him at night with nobody around. And he said this, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can perform these signs you are doing if God were not with him. He calls him rabbi, and he says he come from God. Now, rabbi means teacher. Interestingly, Nicodemus acknowledges that Jesus was a great teacher. He even acknowledges that Jesus came from God. But Nicodemus does not quite understand what that means yet. He does not view Jesus as God incarnate, as God in human flesh. Nicodemus notices that something is different about Jesus, but does not quite grasp exactly who he is. Nicodemus was intrigued by Jesus and wanted to know more about him. And he was asking questions. He was curious. He came to him with a sincere desire to learn. And then Jesus, knowing that Nicodemus was a Pharisee, understanding what he believed, knowing that Nicodemus spent his life trying to earn righteousness by doing good, began to answer a question that Nicodemus did not even ask. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one could come, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Jesus abruptly says, You cannot see the kingdom of God, you cannot be saved unless you're born again. Unless you're born again. I mean, what an odd statement. And Nicodemus thought so as well. He says, How can someone be born when they're old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Nicodemus is saying, you want me to be born again? How can I be reborn? You want me to go back into my mother's womb? Like, Jesus, what are we even talking about here? Well, the term born again literally means born from above. Jesus is saying, you need to be reborn from above into God's family. This is not a physical rebirth. It's a spiritual rebirth from above. There's two important keys here that Jesus was trying to reveal to Nicodemus. First, Jesus is demolishing the idea that obeying the law saves you. One cannot be saved by obeying the law. You see, Jesus did not say to Nicodemus, if you obey the law or the traditions of the elders, you will be saved. No. He said, you need to be born again. You need to be born from above in order to be saved. In order to be saved. There needs to be a spiritual renewal in your life. You see, being saved has nothing to do with looking good on the outside. Rather, it's about a renewal on the inside. Now, this would have blown Nicodemus away. Remember, the Pharisees spent so much time and energy looking good on the outside as they physically observed the law, and they totally disregarded an internal spiritual renewal. Jesus is saying, doing the right thing does not save you. You need an internal spiritual renewal. You need to be born again, born from above. Second, Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, 
this spiritual rebirth, this spiritual renewal is something that you cannot do yourself. Spiritual rebirth is not earned. It's only God who could accomplish this. This is something that only God can do if you turn from your sinful ways and follow him. Jesus then again goes on to tell Nicodemus one more time that he must be born again, but this time in different words. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Now, it's important to note that when Jesus says you need to be born of water, he's not referring to literal water, like H2O. Jesus is not saying you need to be baptized in literal water in order to be saved. Baptism in water represents your decision to follow Jesus. And we promote this at Broadway Church, and we have baptisms every month at Broadway Church. And we think it's an important step as you're declaring to your friends and family and church that you want to passionately follow Jesus. But the act itself does not save you. Water in the Old Testament of the Bible is symbolic of purification. Water in the Old Testament of Scripture often refers to cleansing or spiritual washing. Jesus uses this term water because he knows that Nicodemus, remember, was an Old Testament scholar. He knows that when he mentions water, Nicodemus would think purification or cleansing. Jesus saying again to Nicodemus, you need to be spiritually purified, spiritually renewed, spiritually, spiritually reborn. There needs to be a spiritual regeneration in your heart. All those rules and rituals that you follow that you think bring you closer to God cannot give you eternal life. He's saying to Nicodemus, you cannot earn new life in Christ. You cannot be good enough. You cannot be holy enough. You cannot be spiritual enough. You cannot do it. It's only God who can. Now, you might be sitting here thinking to yourself, what does it look like to be spiritually reborn or born again? Practically speaking, what does that mean? Well, being born again simply represents your decision to believe in and follow Jesus. You're born again when you trust in Jesus as your Savior and you begin following him. You're born again when you give the Holy Spirit access to your life. You're born again when you decide to accept the gift of being adopted into God's family. It's to change the direction and focus and framework of your life to fully follow Christ. This is how a spiritual regeneration begins. And if you have never made that decision before to believe in and follow Jesus, I'm going to give you that opportunity in a few minutes when I close to give your life to Jesus and to say, yes, I will follow you. I want to be spiritually reborn. But here's the key. When you are spiritually, when you're born again, you make a decision to believe in and follow Jesus and give the Holy Spirit access to your life. And it's the Spirit who does the purification and cleansing. It's Him who makes you righteous, not your own good deeds, which is exactly where Nicodemus went wrong. Picture Nicodemus right now. You can just imagine what Nicodemus is feeling. Everything that he's ever believed, everything that he has ever been taught is not only being been questioned, but being deemed wrong by Jesus. Nicodemus asks, 
How could this be? Nicodemus could simply could not believe what he was hearing. Jesus responds. He says, you are Israel's teacher and you do not understand these things? <laughs> you see, Nicodemus thought of himself as Israel, as a great spiritual leader. He was an Old Testament scholar and Jesus calls him on it. You call yourself a master teacher to the nation of Israel. Well, how did you miss this? You don't understand this idea of spiritual rebirth? I mean, it's right in the Old Testament of Scripture. It's right there. But then Jesus goes on and gives him the answer. How can this be, you ask? Let me tell you. Again, Jesus refers back to an Old Testament story that Nicodemus would know very well. He says in verse 14, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man, speaking of himself, must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Now, what is Jesus talking about here? The story that Jesus is referring to here is what he was speaking of Moses lifting up the snake in the wilderness. It's actually found in the book of Numbers chapter 21. In this, in this passage, the Israelite, Israelites had left Egypt, but they had not yet entered into the promised land. And they were wandering in the desert for many years. And so they had been complaining and grumbling about their lack of food and lack of water. And, and so they go up to Moses and start to complain to him. And finally, God had enough of the grumbling and he sent venomous snakes among the people. And these snakes bit the people and many Israelites died. When the Israelites realized that it was because of their grumbling and horrible attitude that people were dying, they begged Moses and asked God for forgiveness. They asked Moses to pray that God would take away the snakes. And Moses did. And God gave Moses a command. He said, Make a bronze snake and put it on a pole. Anyone who's bitten can look at it and live. It's an odd request, but nevertheless, Moses obeys. So Moses makes a bronze snake and he puts it on a pole. And when a person was bitten by a venomous snake, they would look to this bronze statue, this bronze snake, and they lived. The key was this. Anyone who is bitten can look at the bronze snake and live. You see, God did not prescribe a ritual or chant or a bunch of rules to save the Israelites in the desert. Instead, he told them where to look. Look at the snake on the pole and you will live. And Jesus does the same thing for Nicodemus. Jesus does not prescribe rituals or chants or a bunch of rules to save Nicodemus. He says, look to me, believe in me. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man, Jesus is referring to himself, must be lifted up. You see, Jesus is referring to his dying on the cross. He's saying, I'm going to be lifted up on a pole. I'm going to be on a cross one day. And I'm going to purchase salvation for you. And I'm going to take away your sin for you. That everyone who believes in me may have eternal life and live. Jesus is saying, look to me. Believe in me and I will give you eternal life. I will give you righteousness. Here's the brilliance of the lesson that Jesus gives. Jesus uses a story that Nicodemus understood to explain something that he is yet to understand. 
Remember, as an Old Testament scholar, Nicodemus knew this story very well. Nicodemus knew the helpless state that the Israelites were in when this bronze serpent was built. The Israelites were sinful. They were defiant. They were rebellious towards God. And Nicodemus knew it. And they were being judged and dying. And they shamefully came to Moses, begging him and pleading him to go to God and ask for their forgiveness. We have sinned because we have spoken against the Lord and you, they said. Nicodemus, being a religious elite, being a religious man, he, he would have identified with Moses in this story, interestingly enough. He would have pictured himself as Moses. He would have thought the people come to me and I would have helped them. I, would, I am their leader. I'm the one who's obeyed and observed the law. I am their spiritual leader. But Jesus was saying, no, 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 Nicodemus, you're not Moses. You're the sinful Israelite who's sinful and defiant. You are the one who's rebellious towards God. You are the one who needs to humble yourself and ask for forgiveness. You are sinful. You, Nicodemus, need to humble yourself and ask for forgiveness. You need to come to me with a genuine repentant heart. Nicodemus, Jesus is saying, you must be born again. You must be spiritually purified. It's you who needs to be spiritually renewed. But that only comes through me. And then Jesus speaks one of the most famous words in all of Scripture. For God so loved the world, Nicodemus, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. See, Nicodemus thought that being right with God came from doing all the right things. But Jesus turns this thinking on his head. If you want to be right with God, Jesus says, you won't be able to earn it by doing good. You need to believe in me. You can't do it on your own. Believe in me. Stop trying to earn it. Do you want to be spiritually reborn? Believe in me. Put your trust in me. Nicodemus, you need to realize that you're sinful and that you need a savior. Savior, And I will do the work of saving. So believe in me. How did Nicodemus respond? Well, the Gospel of John doesn't record an immediate response from Nicodemus. However, we receive a strong clue of what Nicodemus decided after Jesus died. After Jesus died on the cross, the Gospel John says this in chapter 19, verse 38. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. Get this. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. So somewhere along the way, Nicodemus acknowledges his sin and says yes to this spiritual rebirth, and he believes in Jesus as his Savior. And this is not a surface-level belief. He believes in Jesus to the point where he's really willing to risk his life in order to help bury Jesus. So what does this mean for me? What can we learn about this encounter with Jesus? As we close, I want to quickly show you two things that we learn about Jesus and two key characteristics that we learn about Christ followers during this encounter. 
First, we learn that the teachings of Jesus was confrontational and conditional. Now, those two words are are words that many would not usually associate with Jesus. But as you study the life of Jesus, especially in this encounter, you realize that he was confrontational and he was conditional. We see here as he engaged Nicodemus. He was confrontational with him. He confronted the beliefs and lifestyle of Nicodemus and essentially said, you need to change. And this is not a little makeover. You don't just need to renovate a room in your house, in your life. You need to change the foundation of the structure that your life is built on. Jesus taught that in order to be saved, you don't just need to change your actions. You need to be a new person. There needs to be a rebirth. In order, there, in order to be a new person, in order for this rebirth to occur, you have to admit that you're sinful, admit that you're wrong, and admit that you need a savior. You need to admit that on your own, you are not good enough. You cannot earn salvation. It is only by the work of God that this can be accomplished. That's the realization that Nicodemus had to come to. But many people, many times, people think that we're good people. I think I'm a good person. I donate to charity. I don't cheat on my taxes. My neighbors love me. I'm a good person. Jesus says, no, you're not. You're sinful and you need a savior. Simply simply being good, whatever that looks like in your eyes, will not save you. And Jesus confronts Nicodemus And he confronts you and I as well with this jarring reality that without him, we are not good. We need to be born again. We need to be born from above. And here's where the teaching of Jesus comes very, it becomes very conditional. This spiritual rebirth, this eternal life comes from believing in Jesus and only Jesus. There's no other way. You can't do it for yourself. There's no other God that can save you. There's no other belief system that can save you. It's only through believing in Jesus that you are saved and you can be good or righteous. That is the gospel that you and I are confronted with today. Now, there are two key characteristics that Nicodemus had that help him eventually make the decision to radically turn from his old life and embrace new life in Christ. Nicodemus was curious and courageous. Nicodemus was curious about Jesus. Listen, he grew up a certain way, learning all these things, but he had a soft heart. He was searching for answers. He was willing and he was asking questions. He was curious and he had an open heart towards God. And when Jesus confronted him with this new reality, he was courageous. He was courageous when Jesus confronted him with a total lifestyle change. When Jesus confronted him with the fact that he's a sinner and that his old lifestyle needs to change, that he needs a savior, Nicodemus had the courage to change. It would have been easier for Nicodemus just to say, you know what, Jesus? Nope. I'm just going to keep on doing what I'm doing, what I've always been told. Uh, Thank you very much, Jesus, but I'm going to stick to this whole Pharisee thing that I've been pursuing my whole life. But he didn't. Nicodemus courageously admitted that his way of living was wrong. He courageously confessed that he was a sinner and courageously followed Jesus even to the point of ridicule and potential death. You and I are confronted with the same decision that Nicodemus was confronted with. We are sinful and broken 
And we on our own can't do anything about it. We need a savior. We were designed to be born again, born from above, but this only comes from God. You and I were designed to believe in Jesus and allow him to transform our life. This is a radical lifestyle change that Jesus is calling us to. And that leads me to today's big idea. To a cynic, this message is irrational. But to a seeker, this message is irresistible. As you sit and are watching today, are you a cynic? Are you someone who thinks this is totally crazy? This is totally irrational? This is total brainwashing? If you're not ready to hear this message, this all probably sounds like foolishness to you. And that's okay. Thank you for listening the last 25 minutes. I would encourage you to keep asking questions and keep searching on your journey. But if you're a seeker, if you're open, if you're asking questions, if you're ready to change, if you have a soft heart towards Jesus, just like Nicodemus did, this courageous decision to believe in Jesus is exactly what you're longing for. This message is irresistible. If that's you, if you're ready to believe in Jesus, if you're ready to change your life, if you're ready to be born again and accept him as your savior, would you agree with me as I say this prayer? I'm going to pray, and all I'm going to ask is that you simply agree with me in your heart. God, we come to you as sinners. We're broken, and we need a Savior. Thank you for dying on the cross and forgiving us of our sins. Thank you for the grace that you give to me. Thank you that I don't have to earn it, that it's a gift that I just received. I want to receive that gift today. I pray this in your name. Amen. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, the best advice that I can give you is text the number that's on your screen right now. We have a pastor on the other end that wants to touch base with you, answer any questions, or just point you in the right direction. We've got tons of classes and, and options, small groups to plug you in. We want to help you in this next step that you've made to follow Christ. Thanks for joining us today.